keeping you informed and inspired. We love God. We ought to be able to talk about him. Getting you started on your day. With the latest in breaking news and information. From the Vatican to the White House and everything in between. It's serious. It's fun. It's your Catholic drive time. Now here's your host, Joe McClain. Praise be to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. Keeping you informed and inspired. I'm your host, Joe McClain. So good to be on with you on this Thursday, January the 12th. 2023. Good morning. Praise be to God. Hey, EJ Anthony is going to be on the program from the Heritage Foundation. We're going to be talking about the 2023 economic outlook. Are we looking at a great recession or some would say the Great Depression 2.0? What does that look like? Uh, We're going to be conversating about that. The jobs numbers coming out at the latest job numbers from 2022 in December. The outlook for the future, the ESGs that the EU has just adopted, which is going to force the entire supply chain to get along with it, or else there's a lot to talk about there. 35 past the hour. Hey, Colm Flynn, uh, a correspondent with EWTN, also the BBC News, he was the last guy to interview Cardinal George Pell before he died. He had a fantastic interview both on EWTN and the BBC. We're going to talk to him about... Cardinal Pell's last words. Not sure if you caught Cardinal Pell's last words. Also in the spectator, by the way, as our fire alarms go off. It's a good time. At any rate, we're going to check on that. Adrian's going to go out and look to see if that's a a very serious thing. If so, we will evacuate the building. But nonetheless, we have a lot to get into today. Brent Haines is going to be on the top of the next hour to uh, catch us up on some big stories. For instance, McCarthy asking uh, Twitter to censor conservatives. What's going on there? Hey, here's another B-16 interesting tidbit here, a fun fact. He sent a letter to somebody in 2015 that was not supposed to be published until after he died. Here's a quote from that letter. Quote, we see how the power of the Antichrist is expanding. And we can only pray that the Lord will give us strong shepherds who will defend his church in the hour of need from the power of evil. Those are heavy words from B-16. God rest his soul. Hey, they found more confidential documents, some uh, some classified documents, even more now from the Biden administration. Interesting. House Republicans, they passed, or at least they, uh, they voted to pass a bill that would stop infanticide, protecting babies born, uh, surviving abortion. They also tried to, uh, you know, put put out a bill that says we need to protect pro-life pregnancy centers. This is good things, right? Well, 200 Democrats voted against both of those bills, including 65 Catholics. So let that sink in. Well, good morning to you, Rudy Carlos. Good morning, Joe. Wow, what a uh, whew, what a surprise here. But uh, yeah, thanks be to God, the uh, the bill passed here to stop infanticide. Now, what exactly does that mean? Uh, it's going to go through the House. It's already passed. What comes after? I'm not entirely sure. But uh, in any case, uh, when we talked to our good friend uh, Joshua Mercer yesterday. He mentioned that it's a good idea for us to make our voice heard and to contact our, our Congress people. So uh, you can go on to CatholicVote.org and see uh, how you can contact uh, your representative, and hopefully they can uh, do something with us. Yeah, 65 Catholics. Said 60, no, we shouldn't protect argument. abortion. Our baby's born surviving abortion. No, we shouldn't protect pro-life pregnancy yeah. centers. It's heartbreaking. It's yeah. Heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. Inexcusable, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, nonetheless, uh, we, I guess, have a fire alarm to deal with today. It's going to be a good time. Good morning to you, Adrian Fonseca. Howdy, howdy. Praise be to God. It's good to be here. Is it? Uh, despite the fact that these uh, alarms are going off above our heads, 
The good news and bad news. Yeah. Well, the good news is we don't have a fire. It's, uh, it's just a test. Uh, the, <laughs> the building decided to uh, test our fire alarms at 6 in the morning, uh, which I guess makes sense for most people, but not for us. And then the bad news is we're going to have this alarm blaring for I don't know how long. I don't know how long they're going to be letting these go off for. So Good times. Fun times. Fun times. All right. Uh, at any rate, let's pray. Let's begin. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, amen. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known, that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thine intercession, was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy, hear and answer me. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. Now your headlines with Rudy Carlos. Good morning. Thanks for tuning in to Catholic Drive Time. Today is Thursday, January the 12th, and here are your headlines this morning. Life News reports, House Republicans pass bill to stop infanticide, protect babies who survive abortions. House Republicans have approved new legislation that would stop infanticide and protect babies who survive abortion. The Born Alive Abortion Survivors Protection Act requires that when a baby is born alive following an abortion, healthcare practitioners must exercise the same degree of professional skill and care that would be offered to any other child born alive at the same gestational age. It also requires that following appropriate care, healthcare workers must transport the living child immediately to a hospital. Justin News reports FAA says U.S. flights gradually resuming after computer system failure grounded domestic takeoffs yesterday. The system that failed is used to alert flight operations personnel about essential information. Shortly before 7 a.m. on Wednesday, at least 1,162 U.S. flights had been delayed, according to data from FlightAware. The White House says President Biden was informed about the matter and that there was no indication that the problem was a result of a cyber attack. Ground News reports U.S. extends public health emergency status for COVID. The U.S. Health Department on Wednesday extended the COVID-19 pandemic status as a public health emergency, allowing millions of Americans to continue receiving free COVID tests and vaccines and other treatments. Catholic News Agency reports dozens still in captivity after Christmas Day attack in Nigeria, Catholic priest says. On Christmas Day 2022, militant Fulani herdsmen and other terrorists attacked Anguanaku village, reportedly killing one person and abducting 53 others, according to persecution.org. An eyewitness is quoted as saying, church worship service was about to commence when the attackers arrived at the village riding on motorcycles and shooting sporadically. They killed one Christian and kidnapped 53 other Christians who are still held captive. And those are your headline news this morning. God love you. The saint of the day is Sister Marguerite of the Blessed Sacrament. Marguerite Bourget was born on Good Friday of 1620 during a period of both colonial expansion and religious strife for Europe. She was the seventh of 13 children born into the middle-class household in the northeastern province of Champagne, France. By her own account, Marguerite had been a very light-hearted and well-liked by the other girls while growing up. Her turn towards God's calling began in 1640, not long after her mother's death. On October 7th of that year, during a procession honoring Our Lady of the Rosary, Margaret had a mystical experience involving a statue of the Virgin Mary at Notre Dame Abbey. 
In later life, Margaret would live out a profound imitation of the Virgin Mary, who was, as she noted, not cloistered, but everywhere, preserved in internal solitude, and never refused to be where charity or necessity required help. During the 17th century, it was unusual for consecrated women to have an active apostolate outside the cloister, as Margaret would go on to do. After being turned down by the Carmelite order, she was freed to volunteer for a 1653 voyage to the Canadian colony of Quebec. When Margaret arrived, she found the children were not likely to survive to an age suitable for attending school. Eventually, she was able to establish her first school in 1658 in a stable. She traveled back to France that year and returned to Montreal with three more teachers and an assistant. These women were called the Daughters of the Congregation. They would eventually become a religious order in their own right, the Congregation of Notre Dame de Montreal. They would live in poverty and travel wherever they were needed, offering education and performing works of mercy. Margaret and her companions persisted in their mission of teaching and charity. This work proved so integral to life in Quebec that Margaret became known as the mother of the colony. Though the teacher, the teaching sisters often lived in huts and suffered other hardships, the order grew. They did not dedicate themselves solely to teaching children, but also set up schools where they taught new immigrants how to survive in their surroundings. As the order expanded, Margaret passed leadership on to one of the sisters. During the last two years of her life, the foundress, known by then as Sister Margaret of the Blessed Sacrament, retired to pray in solitude. On the last day of 1699, after a young member of the community became sick, Sister Margaret prayed to God to suffer in her place. The young woman recovered while the aged foundress suffered for 12 days and then died on January 12, 1700. Sister Margaret of the Blessed Sacrament, pray for us. Praise be to God in all things. The gospel today comes to us from Mark chapter 1, verses 40 through 45. A leper came to him and kneeling down begged him and said, If you wish, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand, touched the leper, and said to him, I do will it, be made clean. The leprosy left him immediately, and he was made clean. Then, warning him sternly, he dismissed him at once. Then he said to him, See that you tell no one anything, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing what Moses prescribed. That will be proof for them. The man went away and began to publicize the whole matter. He spread the report abroad so that it was impossible for Jesus to enter a town openly. He remained outside in deserted places, and people kept coming to him from everywhere. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Now, again, we apologize for this fire alarm. Apparently, apparently it was missed by everybody. Nobody actually responded to say, hey, don't, don't do a fire alarm during our radio show. But nonetheless, it's just a test. They're testing the whole building. St. Chrysostom would say, further, the reason why he touches the leper and did not confer health upon him by word alone, he shows that he himself is the Lord of the law, and the reason why he touched the leper, though the touch was not necessary to the working of the cure, was to show that he gives health, not as a servant, but as the Lord. Close quote, St. Chrysostom. The Venerable Bede would say this, another reason why he touched him was to prove that he could not be defiled. 
who freed others from pollution. Very interesting. Better we'll read. Ignatius Catholic Commentary points out in discussing the Messianic secret. Why does our Lord so often require demons and man to be silent about his true identity? Very interesting, isn't it? They call it the Messianic secret. Ignatius Catholic Commentary says it's a leading theme in Mark. Jesus frequently enjoys silence upon demons. Uh, For instance, chapter 1, verse 25, 34, chapter 3, verse 12. And men as well, chapter 5, verse 43, chapter 7, chapter 8, chapter 9, etc. To conceal his identity as the Messiah, several considerations account for this strategy. Number one, Jesus wanted to avoid a sensationalist reputation of being no more than a wonder worker. Publicizing his deeds by word of mouth comes with the danger that rumors will begin to disconnect his miracles from his saving message. Number two, He wanted to sidestep popular expectations that the Messiah would be a political and military leader. And number three, he did not wish to ignite the wrath of his enemies before the appointed time of his passion. What's interesting also is the Ignatius Catholic Commentary also goes goes on to point out something very fascinating, which I call a type of the sacrament of confession found in the Old Testament. It says the Mosaic law required Levitical priests to inspect lepers and determine their status as clean or unclean. Leviticus 14, for instance. With approval, an individual pronounced clean would offer sacrifices at the temple to be reinstated in the worshiping community of Israel. Here's what's fascinating. It didn't stop at just leprosy. It was all manner of other things, too. Sins. In order to, uh, to atone for your sin, you had to go to the temple, or before that, the tabernacle, And you had to present an offering to the priest who would make your sacrifice on your behalf before God. Well, the level of your sin determined the the size of the animal offered. So how was a priest to know whether or not you brought the legit uh, sacrifice or you were faking it? You're like, yeah, I committed murder, but here's a a little dove. Nuh-uh. Go back and get the ox. Bring the ox. You see, in order for the priest to truly know that your offering coincided with the level of your sin, he had to know your sin. A confession had to be made to a priest in the Old Testament. That is now a sacrament in the New Testament. Isn't it beautiful? I think so. Hey, don't go anywhere. Colm Flynn from EWT and the BBC News is going to come up. Cardinal Pell's last words. Very fascinating. All that and more on Catholic Drive Times coming up next. Oh, come, let us adore him. Hi, this is Dave Palmer. Doesn't that perfectly describe our disposition during this Christmas season? We have the honor of being able to adore the Christ child at Christmas and adore him throughout the year in the Blessed Sacrament and receive him at Mass. And what a blessing also that we can tune in to the GRN anytime to keep our minds focused on our Lord Jesus Christ and his Holy Church. Merry Christmas and a blessed new year to you and your family. This is Dale Alquist with a Chesterton Christmas Minute. G.K. Chesterton says, All comfort must be based on discomfort. What's that supposed to mean? It has something to do with the fact that we celebrate Christmas in December. It is the feast in the middle of winter. We are choosing to be joyful at the very moment when the whole material world around us is most sad. 
We are defying cold death outside by celebrating life inside. And that's why there's nothing more comfortable than a blazing fire in the middle of a blizzard and why we bring a green tree inside and decorate it and talk of good cheer in the face of darkness and death. Tidings of comfort and joy. Because all comfort is based on discomfort. Want more than a minute? Visit us at chesterton.org. Your legacy and about the fact that in years to come and even after, long after you're gone, when people look up the name Cardinal George Pell, it will forever be associated with the charges that were made against you with child abuse, with pedophilia. How does that make you feel? Well, that explains why I'm talking to you. <laughs> but that's because, a, bad, is that a good thing but, or a bad thing? That's a good thing. Because my only concern is to get the truth out there. And, I mean, it doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things too much what people think about me. Uh, but I am keen that the church is not judged unfairly. God knows we've got more than enough to be guilty about, uh, especially in the area of pedophilia, the terrible crimes. And there was so much of it. Uh, but truth is in the interests of everybody, especially the victims. And do you have any regrets when you think back about your time in Melbourne or Sydney when you were in a position of authority and people came to you with abuse cases and how you handled that? Do you ever? On every occasion when I was Archbishop, I received a complaint. I immediately referred it to the mechanisms that had been set up. In most dioceses in Australia, there are no convictions this century. Uh, and it is quite misleading to suggest that nothing was done by the church leadership uh, until the Royal Commission. Colm Flynn, Flynn joins us now. He's a correspondent with EWTN and BBC News. Good morning to you, Colm. Hey, great to talk to you, Joan. Thank you so much for having me back on. Yeah, praise be to God. I apologize. We've got a fire alarm test going off in the building. I was, so I was going to ask, is this yeah. a problem on my end or your no, end? Because I was hearing this. No, you're doing great. It's our problem. But nonetheless, I'm going to pass it over to you real quick here. So uh, you were the last guy to interview Cardinal George Pell, God rest his soul, both for the BBC and EWTN. Let's start with the BBC interview first. Uh, he has a controversial legacy, uh, a mixed message here. Some people love him, some people hate him. What was your insight from your interview? Yeah, you're so right. Uh, and over the past two days since his sad passing, I've been doing a lot of interviews across uh, Australian media and some of the biggest TV and radio shows in Australia. And you're, you're, you're right in saying that for many, they see Cardinal George Pell as someone who never faced justice here on this in this world and then for others they see him as the victim of a great injustice because of what he had to go through but from my impression of him and his legacy he took a very philosophical approach as you heard in that uh, bbc radio interview and this you can kind of apply to his time in prison and uh, how he looked back in his whole saga of being uh, accused of these crimes of going to prison and then being released from prison and coming back to rome but he always told me that he believed this is from his deeply rooted uh, christian catholic beliefs that truth would prevail in the end no matter what and he did say on a number of occasions 
we're not meant to have an easy ride on this life. And he referenced Jesus on the cross. He said, look at Jesus. He, he was nailed to the cross and he bled to death. He said to me on a number of occasions, if I don't get justice or vindication in this world, meaning if there's, you know, if, if the hard, hard proof comes out that he is absolutely innocent, if that doesn't come out in this world, he said he will get it in the next world. And that, I think, really kept him going um, throughout his later years, right up until the day he died. What was his relationship to Benedict XVI? He had a very close relationship to Benedict XVI, and that was the very last interview that I did with him. Joe, at the moment, I'm talking to you from Miami in Florida because I had to come here to do some interviews for EWTN, but I flew here just after the passing of Pope Benedict XVI, and the last person I went to see an interview was Cardinal George Pell. I went to his papal apartment, which is just beside St. Peter's Basilica in the heart of Rome, and we sat down, and he, he did a great interview about and what he admired about Pope Benedict. He said in that interview that he was surprised at how sad he was to hear of the passing of Pope Benedict. He said, I knew I would be sad, but I didn't realize just how sad I was because he said it was the end of a great chapter in church history and a great figure, the loss of a great figure. Then, of course, he talked about his memories of Pope Benedict XVI visiting Australia for World Youth Day in 2008, where in Sydney they had 400,000 people attend the final mass that the Pope celebrated on the Sunday. And, on the Sunday. and he, he just spoke about why he thought Pope Benedict, in his opinion, was a great Pope. He, he remarked that he wasn't doing anything for the cameras. He said he wasn't like John Paul II, who was great in front of the cameras and, you know, he was theatrical and he, he, um, he, he, he was just very media friendly. And that, that's no, um, discouragement to him or uh, marking him, but he just said he was a different type of pope and he was there for the people in the pews. He wasn't there for the non-believers. He wasn't there for the skeptics. Cardinal Pell said, they're an important constituency. We have to reach out to them. He said, but Benedict was there for the people in the pews to be, the, as he said, the man of rock. And he said, and he fulfilled that role perfectly. And it's interesting, Joe, many of the things that Cardinal Pell said about Pope Benedict, when you look back at that poignant interview now, as it was just a few days before he passed, you could apply a lot of those things and um, attributes to Cardinal Pell himself. Yeah, very, very fascinating insight, I would say. Did you happen to see his article at The Spectator that was published just yesterday? He, uh, A man who was very critical of the process that's going into the, the Synod on Synodality and the guy who's uh, who's leading that up, Hollerick. Uh, Pell is, a, is a, a man of great influence. Tell us about, uh, the, still after his imprisonment, after those accusations, still a man of great influence. You're so right, Joe, because before his the accusations were made against him in Australia, he was a man of phenomenal influence at the Vatican, being the, you know, the colloquial way of putting it is the third most powerful Catholic in the world. But he was head of the Vatican finances, overseeing IOR, which is more commonly known as the Vatican Bank. And even when he was released from prison and returned to Rome, and even though he was at a, you know he was in an elderly at an elderly age, he still uh, wielded great influence and power among circles at the Vatican. Whenever I would meet him at his um, Vatican apartment, there were always people coming and going for meetings, uh, coming and going for dinners, and uh, people really admired and look up looked up to Cardinal George Pell. Of course, 
you have the other side of it, which was many Catholics who didn't like him, one, because of his traditional views, because of the way he enforced the teachings and the doctrine of the Catholic Church. So he had his enemies from the get-go in Australia. Remember, Joe, he, before he um, became a cardinal, before he all the scandals broke loose and the world really became aware of who Cardinal George Pell was, he was a prominent church figure in Australia for a number of decades, and he would never shy away from appearing on national television or national radio to debate all these hot topics in society. And he would be the voice of the church. And he would take a different approach to, let's say, the one that Pope Francis takes in his tone, in his style. He was uh, robust, for want of a better term. Uh, he was, uh, you could say, unforgiving sometimes. And um, he, he was just very firm in the in reaffirming the teachings of the church. So... He had his enemies from the get-go. And then when these uh, allegations were brought against him, then it was, um, you know, it, it was, uh, you could say, gave meat to a lot of these uh, critics of his. But in terms of his power and his influence in the Synod, it, it's no secret, as we've been saying, that uh, he comes from the conservative, traditional side of the Catholic Church. And like many others, uh, he was looking on, I think, in disbelief and with a degree of horror at what may be unfolding, and I think confusion as well at how this was all going to end up with the understood where it was going. Yeah, I'm going to be reading his his article there at The Spectator in the after show, second half of the second hour. So if, if you can join us, or for the audience, if you are able to join us, I would encourage you to do so. It's pretty it's pretty hard uh, to, to hear a guy of the stature of Pell make these very clear statements that are critical of this process, basically saying, you know, the life faith were going to get hijacked in the process. So very, very fascinating. Uh, was there anything that really surprised you in your last conversations with Cardinal Pell, whether it was over Benedict XVI or your BBC interview uh, done before uh, in regards to his legacy, which I thought that was just so apropos for him to address his legacy, because a lot of people today I mean, in, especially in Australia, I think the uh, the father of one of of the of the boys in which he was convicted and sent to prison over is still trying to pursue a civil uh, judgment upon his state now. Yeah, they announced in the news yesterday that that civil suit would continue, uh, albeit not against Cardinal George Pell himself, but now they will take it against the um, the church in Australia. But, the, Joe, the one thing that surprised me, and this is uh, not a, a profound uh, thing in it by any means, but I remember when we went to his apartment to do the interview on Pope Benedict, and you know what it's like when news breaks Pope Benedict had passed. We needed to get an interview with Cardinal Pell to get his memories. We needed to get it on air as quick as possible. So myself and the TV crew kind of arrive at the apartment. We rush in and we greet him. We do the interview and then we leave after that. But when we arrived, of course, we have our uh, small talk with the Cardinal. And uh, I remarked to the crew when we left, obviously he was very sad at the passing of Pope Benedict. And he talked about that in the, in the interview. But I said to him, the crew, was it just me or did you recognize that Cardinal Pell was in great form today? Mm. You know, he was 81 years of age, but he was in remarkably good form. He was um, greeting us so warmly. He was uh, quick with a joke. He was asking us about our Christmas break. We were uh, talking about plans for the new year ahead. And I remember when I went in and I said, uh, Your Eminence, uh, how are you today? And he said, as he often did, oh, 
suffering in silence. <laughs> and we all kind of chuckled and laughed. And I said, oh, no, you're not. And he said, oh, this valley of tears. <laughs> but, you know, he would often say things like this. And when he would remark uh, in the past, oh, I'm suffering in silence, his uh, private secretary, Father Joseph Hamilton, would always say, I really wish you were. But <laughs> would say, he just, he had this sense of humor and he had... Um, this is a side that many people never saw of uh, Cardinal Pell. He did have a warmth and he had a gentleness to him as well. Mm. And I mean, it's not just me who found this. I mean, if you ask probably most of the journalists from either side of the fence covering the Vatican in Rome, I think most of them would tell you that as well. He was very much liked around the Vatican uh, since he returned after his high court. Um, the high court overturned his conviction, eight high court judges to none. But he, he had this, he was always quick with a word of encouragement and support. And I think that's how I personally will remember him. Uh, that kind of warmth and friendliness that most people never got to see. Yeah. And actually, it's funny, in a previous interview for EWTN, when I asked him about uh, regrets in general, he said the one thing he did regret is that he probably didn't allow himself to be humanized when he was in Australia. Whenever someone called him to do a human interest feature, he said on TV in Australia, like a day in the life of Cardinal Pell, or let's get to know you, the kind of thing you would see on CBS Sunday morning in the States, or, you know, a lighter kind of personal human interest piece. He always said no to them because he said, it's not about me. It's about the faith. It's about the church. It's about the teachings. And whenever he was asked to go on a hard news show or a highly uh, contested debate show, he would go on that. So he was only seen in one light in the media. And he said, looking back, that probably was a mistake. He could have done more to let people see the human side of him. Wow. Colin Flynn, God love you. Thank you for your time today. We appreciate your insight. Uh, wow. To the last guy to ever interview Cardinal Pell. What a hey! What it was a, a, a great blessing, and I'm grateful for his friendship and to have known him. And thank you so much, Joe Amen. and team, for having me on. God bless you. God love you. We'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. From St. Luke's Gospel, the angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, Elizabeth, this is the sixth month for her, called barren, for nothing. Let's bring impossible measures of joy and love to all. I'm Joseph Schuler in the Washington, D.C. studio of Guadalupe Radio Network. I wish you a happy and holy Christmas. This is Dale Alquist with a Chesterton Christmas Minute. G.K. Chesterton says that it's become a bad habit in our society to celebrate Christmas before it comes. We've forgotten the glory of anticipation. The presents should not be opened until Christmas. That, of course, is part of the excitement. And while we know the gifts are coming, Chesterton reminds us that the best kind of gift is the surprise gift. And if we have the right perspective, we should look at everything as a gift and every gift as a surprise gift. We are happy to wake up on Christmas morning and find gifts in our stockings, but the best gift we could ever find in our stockings is our own two legs. Want more than a minute? Visit our website, chesterton.org. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. And here's a couple more headlines for you, free of the alarm. Ground News reports, egg prices skyrocket, putting pressure on consumers and businesses. 
Chickens may not be able to fly very far, but the price of eggs is soaring. A lingering bird flu outbreak combined with soaring feed fuel and labor costs has led to U.S. egg prices more than doubling over the past year and hatched a lot of sticker price shock at grocery aisles. We're going to talk a little bit about this, the economic outlook, after the short news break here with E.J. Antony from the Heritage Foundation. This one is from the Daily Wire. Quarry workers unearth 16th century rare Elizabethan era ship in England. A ship from the time period of the reign of the first Queen Elizabeth was unearthed by quarry workers in England last April. Wessex Archaeology, the group who studied the find, announced it in a press release. Discoveries of ships from the Elizabethan era or any time before the 1700s are a rare find, according to an archaeologist who studied the ship. Over a hundred timbers of the hull of the ship were recovered, and it was still intact. They were able to determine that timbers were English oak from between 1558 and 1580 during uh, using rather dendrochronological dating, which uses tree rings to determine the year each ring was formed. The ship remains unidentified, but the group says it would have once been part of an important asset uh, for the time period of expanding trade during the Age of Exploration. The ship has been digitally photographed and laser scanned by Wessex Archaeology. The group says that when their work is complete, they will rebury the ship in the quarry lake for silt to continue its preservation, potentially allowing future generations to the opportunity to study it with more advanced technology. Those were your headline news this morning. God love you. Praise be to God in all things. Thank you, Rudy, for keeping us up today. Joining us right now by phone is E.J. Antoni. He is a research fellow for the Regional Economics in the Center for Data Analysis at the Heritage Foundation. Good morning to you, E.J. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year to you. Thank you uh, for being on with us this morning. Uh, There's a lot of talk and conversation about the economy in 2023. Uh, What to expect? Some are saying it's going to be pretty difficult, pretty drastic. Some are even using the terms great depression to describe it others are saying it's not going to be as bad as we think where do you stand on 2023 from an economic outlook well i think the people saying great depression are are certainly using hyperbole but at the same time so so are the mouthpieces of the white house who are saying everything's going to be fine the truth is somewhere in between it looks like we're going to continue to see a lot of people struggle with high prices and wages not keeping up. And we're gonna continue uh, to see employment slide so that we move from robust job growth to anemic growth to layoffs. And talk about uh, layoffs, you put out an article over at the Heritage Foundation, uh, the December jobs reports. Uh, These numbers don't look good for America though. A lot of people are going to, I mean, there's been reports of Amazon's laying off thousands and there's other industry sectors that are also going to be laying off thousands in 2023. What does the job report look like for 2023? You know, again, nothing, nothing good. Unfortunately, I I wish I had better news for you, but it it looks like these layoffs are going to continue as businesses continue to face higher costs. And at some point, something's got to give. And I'll give you just one very good example of some of the data that I look at. You you have seen new orders for businesses just absolutely collapse. And the reason that businesses have continued hiring is many of them still have backlogs that date from during the pandemic. And as those unfilled order backlogs are worked through, there's nothing left to sustain output and businesses don't have a need for the same number of employees. So we're going to continue to move, again, from hiring into layoffs. 
And in your article, you talked about how the numbers that get reported, we have to like start to read through the lines here to really get to the actual numbers. Why is it just they want to spin this thing positive? Is that what they're looking to do here? Or is there some other reason why we just don't get the facts? I mean, clarity is charity. So why do they always give us numbers that we have to interpret? Well, I mean, it's certainly the case that every administration tries to put the best possible spin on everything that they can, right? There, there's nothing unique about this administration in that sense. But I, I think we are seeing a, a unique uh, confluence of events here that are helping to artificially boost some of these numbers. For example, uh, these headline jobs numbers that you see every month are increased by a phenomenon of double counting. That's when I have to go out and get a second job, for example, because inflation is so bad that I can't pay all my expenses. So when I go out and I get that second job, that counts as another person employed in these statistics. Mm. And so because there have been so many people, you know, we're, we're talking about like a million who have had to go out and get a second or third job, those people are all adding to the jobs numbers. And that is not something that normally happens, not not to this magnitude. So it's artificial. I'm glad you mentioned that. You know, sometimes I, I, I look at the headlines and I see, oh, well, it seems in this part, in this sector of the economy, things are somewhat, I mean, they're spinning it positive. I'm taking it as, a, you know, as it is. And Maybe it's not that. But, you know, uh, to, to backtrack just a little bit, a minute ago you talked about, uh, you know, th- uh, the uh, companies that were fulfilling orders from from the COVID era. Are there any other shoes that are about to drop uh, in, in regard to the COVID period? Uh, it was an unprecedented thing to shut down the economy the way it is. Is there, is there anything else that you predict in this year, or the uh, the upcoming year, that that is going to happen in in results of that that shutdown. Yes, but I I would not frame them as as another shoe to drop, just because that that kind of gives a sense of of, of something sudden or you know, some kind mm. of shock that's going to hit the system, mm-hmm. but but rather slow decline. I think a very good example of that are the uh, all of the cases of drug and alcohol addiction that started during the pandemic. When you were literally forced to stay home, it was illegal to go out and see people. And sadly, that caused many, many of our fellows uh, to either relapse or to begin uh, these these unsafe habits. And you know, a, a colleague of mine is an economist at the University of Chicago. He has estimated that half a million people today are out of the labor force because they're still dealing with drug and alcohol addictions that began during the pandemic. And I think that's going to continue. Uh, It's also a a key reason why labor productivity has just fallen off a cliff uh, within the last year or so, because there are so many people who have uh, essentially graduated high school and missed their last year or two and didn't actually learn anything and don't have skills and have picked up a lot of bad habits on top of that. And it's showing up in the in the macro-level uh, labor data. Uh, I just saw a report, I think it was this morning, actually, on my way in. Um, the Biden administration wants to open these, uh, like these opiate centers in cities all across America. They don't help people overcome addiction. They help people cope and live with their addictions. It's just going to further perpetuate the problem instead of solve it. And then I also saw you being interviewed and you published an article on this about how many government subsidies people can apply for where they can almost make six-figure salaries and never have to work a day in their life. Oh, that's exactly right. I'll I'll give you just one example. A a bedroom community here in the Washington, D.C. area, Loudoun County, Virginia, 
a family can get rent subsidies of over $25,000 a year. That's a single program, right? Then you have food stamps on top of that. Uh, you can get free cell phones, uh, free internet at home, et cetera, cable even. I mean, there are subsidies for everything from education to transportation and all the stuff that's in between. Wow. Let me ask you about this. Uh, I also have seen reports that uh, there's basically a, a world slowdown in the economies. Uh, the GDP in America alone is going to be down from 5.7% in 2021 to 1% now in 2023. But the whole world is looking at e an economic slowdown. Um, can you speak to that at all? Because it seems like with uh, quantitative easing and uh, in high interest rates and the slowdown, it seems like a recipe for a bad deal for a lot of people, maybe more so for people in third world countries than, say, in the United States. But nonetheless, this doesn't look good. No, no, not not at all. And this is this is part of the result, in fact, largely the result of governments around the world uh, spending, borrowing and printing trillions upon trillions of dollars. And what that has done is it has created inflation. And now to try to reel in that inflation central banks, including the Federal Reserve, are trying to take money back out of the economy after they added all that money to begin with. But instead of taking the money away from the government, who they originally created that money for, they're taking it out of the private sector, which means they're taking it out of the productive economy. And that is just a choke collar around the neck of all of these uh, nations' economies right now. And what's really sad is, yes, the economy is probably going to be up somewhere in the ballpark of 1% for 2022. But when you look at something like net exports, that actually accounts for a large portion of that. Why is that important? Because right now, international trade is grinding to a halt. So many people are unable to afford imports, in other words, goods and services from other country, that they're buying less of them. And the way that actually shows up in the GDP numbers is it increases them. So even though it is a sign not of prosperity and wealth, but just the opposite, it is a sign of people becoming impoverished. It actually looks in the macro level data as if the economy is growing. So we're we talking dominoes here because jobs don't look good. There's a slowing of our economy, let alone the whole world. International trade is affected. Food is going up in, in costs again. So are we talking about defaults on mortgages, people being evicted from rental properties? I mean, we, I think dominoes are about to fall. Well, it's, I mean, certainly uh, you can look at defaults, for example. You can uh, look at eviction proceedings. We have all that data, and those are starting to tick up, certainly. But one of the big wild cards here is what is the federal government and what is the Federal Reserve going to do in response? Because as soon as we get bailouts, now all of a sudden we don't have those uh, those defaults and those evictions. We just get more inflation. So Hold it, that thought. it's nothing good, but it's just a question of which bad thing is going to happen. Hold that thought. E.J. Antoni is our guest from the Heritage Foundation talking about the economy. Going to a quick break. Going to be right back. More to come. Don't go anywhere. I am Josh Reyes, your general manager for the West Texas and New Mexico market, wishing you and your family a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Thank you for your continued support for Guadalupe Radio Network throughout the year. And most of all, thank you for all of your prayers for the Guadalupe Radio Network. May God bless you. Thank you. Joy to the world, the 
This is Dale Alquist with a Chesterton Christmas Minute. G.K. Chesterton says that it is in the old Christmas carols that date from the Middle Ages that we find not only what makes Christmas poetic and soothing and stately, but what makes it exciting. The exciting quality of Christmas rests upon a great paradox, that the power and center of the whole universe may be found in something very small, a baby in a manger. And it's extraordinary to notice how completely this paradox of the manger was lost by the brilliant theologians, but was kept in the Christmas carols. The songs recall the main point of the story, that God once ruled the universe from a stable, and that the hands that made the stars were too small to reach the huge heads of the cattle. Want more than a minute? Chesterton.org Praise be to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. I'm your host, Joe McClain. Brent Haynes is going to be on at the top of the next hour. For those of you that can join us, we're going to be talking about a couple of stories, the classified documents under the Biden administration that have been discovered in multiple occasions now, as well as McCarthy asking for social media to, uh, to conserve conservatives or to uh, rather censor conservatives. All that and more coming up in the next hour. E.J. Antoni is our guest, Heritage Foundation. He has a series of articles that you can find at heritage.org. I highly recommend all of them. And you've got one out now, E.J., that, about the uh, woke banks and the wokeness at the Fed could easily create another banking crisis. Uh, tell us what, what we were talking about in this article. Oh goodness! Well, one of the one of the roles of the Federal Reserve is supposed to be regulation in the banking system, and they're supposed to be looking at financial institutions to see if those individual institutions are posing any kind of systemic risk. In other words, are they posing any risk uh, to the financial system at large? You mentioned earlier dominoes falling. This is the kind of thing that we saw during the financial crisis, during the mortgage meltdown where you had banks because of the the very interconnected nature of modern finance, one bank collapsing could cause all of them to collapse. And so the Fed needs to monitor and regulate that, except now, instead of just using sound financial principles, they want to begin using liberal ideology. In other words, they want to look and say, hey, you have investments in coal, oil, and natural gas. And as a financial institution, we are going to penalize you in your stress test. In other words, it is going to make it look as if your financial position is shakier or riskier than it actually is. But if you have solar and wind in your investment portfolio, you can offset that. So we're basically going to provide another subsidy for wind and solar, and we're going to fur- further penalize investments in coal, oil, and natural gas. Uh, EJ, earlier this week, Jerome Powell, the uh, the Federal Reserve Chair, mentioned that uh, you know the Fed's responsible. It's not the Fed's responsibility to be a, a climate policymaker. Do you see that as a positive change here uh, in in the way that uh, you know we're, we're working in terms of uh, ESG? Do you think maybe this is maybe a step too far in there? They're sort of backtracking a little bit. Oh, I mean, I loved what uh, what Jerome Powell said in Stockholm the other day. I, I loved what he said, but but I can't stand what he's doing. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it is a it is very typical of of a bureaucrat to say one thing and try to get away with doing something exactly the opposite. And and sadly, that's it's exactly what we're seeing right now. So until there's an actual change in action and not just talk, I'm going to consider this just more rhetoric 
from the Federal Reserve Chair. The EU apparently is adopting ESG as law in across the European Union. And the other thing that I found fascinating about this was they're forcing all businesses to adopt these policies. So if Ford or Apple or some big company has to adopt ESG in their operations in Europe, that means they're going to have to force all of their suppliers to also adopt ESG as well. This seems like it's a top-down going to reset the deck here. Everybody's going to have to go along. You have no choice. doesn't matter the size of your business. This seems like it's going to now ripple across the world, whether we want it to or not. What do you say? Right. And uh, this, this, I think, is, is just yet another reason why we need to stop offshoring so much of our supply chain, so much of our production, uh, why we can't simply allow all of these bad trade deals to continue because what they have done is they have hollowed out American industry and they have made us completely codependent with ideologues abroad who do not have our best interest in heart at heart and quite frankly have an inherently anti-Catholic ideology which they are pushing. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So what do we do? How could we turn this thing around? Are we past the point where this can all be remedied? Uh, Do we have to accept what's headed our way one way or the other? You know what? It's a really good question. And unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, uh, you know, you just don't know where is the point at which your momentum is going to take you over the falls. Hopefully we haven't gotten there yet. Hopefully we still have enough time to turn this thing around. But I, I tell you what, she is a big old battleship hmm. and she takes a long time <laughs> to turn around. It's going to take a lot of effort too. So we, we need to all be in this fight together against ESG. Is there anything that you see coming in the 2023 or even beyond that you, you like that you think is going to be very interesting? Well, I, I think the biggest, uh, the, the biggest thing that I like, the biggest source of hope is simply the fact that it took a Jimmy Carter to give us a Ronald Reagan. And I'm really hoping that the American people see what the effects are from all of these dangerous left-wing policies. And once they realize that, then hopefully they will reject them. Because to date, many Americans have not. Yeah. No, I I think that's one of the issues that I've been bringing up repeatedly. We talk a lot about elections and election shenanigans and all the rest. And I think we can sometimes uh, be naive in the sense that our neighbors vote for this stuff. They actually do vote for this stuff. They actually want, you know, ESGs and and all the rest. And they want to go woke. Um, So we're facing a society that seems to need more evangelization than politics. And yet that seems to be an area that we're lacking in, too. So a lot of problems I see. Now, here's another one that I want to put on the table and get your opinion on. The digital dollar. It seems like uh, we very quietly learned over the course of Thanksgiving last year that the Fed was experimenting with a digital dollar. How quickly can we expect a digital dollar to be rolled out? And uh, with, uh, you know, getting rid of gas-driven stoves in your home and everything electric, everything can be turned on or off with the click of a mouse. I think the digital dollar is scaring a lot of people right now. As it should. Uh, the digital dollar is the absolute last thing we need right now. And that is another item that we need to fight tooth and nail to make sure it never gets implemented. The amount of control over our currency by the government is already dangerous. And the fact that we would we would put any more control in these people's very incompetent hands 
uh, is is a- absolute insanity. And even even before we want to start talking about uh, them doing anything nefarious intentionally, just from the standpoint of competence, we shouldn't trust these people with any more power or any more control because they have proven time and time again their incapabilities of handling that power. Let's talk about Congress. We just watched 15 votes before we've got a uh, Speaker of the House under McCarthy. How did you see that? I mean, their very first bill was to try to remove some $7 billion from the IRS and uh, the omnibus bill that got passed last year. Uh, as an economist, do you? how do you look at this uh, new Congress uh, 118? Uh, you know, in terms of the whole speaker fight, I thought that was wonderful. I, I didn't think there was anything chaotic about it at all. It, it wasn't bad. It was great. The American people uh, actually got to see the process, which was wonderful. Sunlight is the best disinfectant. And the fact that you had you know, a lot of conservatives, I think, were very upset uh, that the election did not um, get more conservatives in Congress. But the silver lining was that because there were there was such a slim Republican majority, the Republican establishment is now beholden to a handful of conservatives for their vote. And so they were forced to make concession. And so, you know, the Lord truly does work in mysterious ways. But I, I think if I can just draw one parallel here, a lot of times uh, socialists look at the apparent chaos of the free market and say what a terrible system it is. All these people running around doing their own thing. There's no coordinating hand, right? And what looks like chaos is actually the best best path to prosperity. Mm. And I looked at the speaker fight the exact same way. What looked like to the establishment and frankly to many socialists as utter chaos was actually probably the best path to American prosperity. You know, one thing that concerned me that was uh, big news a while back was the announcement that the IRS was having all these like thousands and thousands and it feels like just millions of uh, IRS new agents are going to be busting down your doors to try to uh, to take more of your money or fine you for having $100 too much uh, off your uh, taxes or what whatnot. But recently, the House was passing a or trying to say that they want to get rid of or defund the IRS. Is that possible? Is, is this going to actually happen? Or is this just kind of saying, ah, we know this is what y'all want, so we're going to just show everybody that we want this too, and we know nothing's going to happen actually? Well, hopefully something will come up that either the Senate or the White House desperately want, and Republicans can use this as leverage and essentially hold whatever it is that the left wants hostage and say, look, if you want that, fine, but you're going to have to give us the 87,000 fewer IRS agents that the American people want so much. And so right now, it, you know, a simple vote by the House doesn't actually do anything. But the, the precedent is already set that this is an important item for the House. And if liberals want to get anything done, they're going to need to make a concession here. I think we also discovered that the majority of people who get audited by the IRS are in the middle to lower income brackets, not the, the, yeah, the ones at the top. So 87,000 fewer. I mean, they don't, if they don't get those 87,000, hopefully that means a little bit of relief for that particular part of society that gets, gets hammered. And ultimately, as Catholics, we look for justice and mercy, fairness. Uh, but the, the system that provides the resources, that provides the ability for folks to be lifted up out of poverty seems to be really being pressured. It's being attacked in a very significant way here. Can you give us your last thoughts on that? 
Oh, absolutely. I would say two things. One, the expansion of the welfare state, not simply who's eligible for it uh, and the removal of work requirements under this administration, but also the expansion of benefits has has essentially uh, made it so that people don't have to work. Um, I'm trying to think of the encyclical. I think it's uh, Laborum Exertions, which talks about uh, the dignity of work and the value of work far beyond the value that it gives to, uh, to, to providing people with the standard of living. You know, and, and on top of that, again, going back to these IRS agents, if you had just another thousand or two IRS agents, they would be able to audit every millionaire and billionaire in the country. So what do we need 87,000 of them for? This is not an attack on upper income earners who are cheating on their taxes. This is an attack on the middle class who are so confused by a tax code that's longer than the sacred scripture mm. that they are bound to make mistakes, and the IRS is looking to catch them in a bear trap. Wow. I want to sneak one last question in here. How do you feel about flat, ta- flat tax? Oh, a flat tax? I, I think compared to what we have now, uh, that, w- that would be highly desirable. Yeah. Wouldn't it be nice to have, like, the tax code on a single sheet of paper? I mean, that would be utterly amazing. Never going to happen, but uh, either way. E.J. Anthony, uh, Research Fellow at the Regional Economics and the Center for Data Analysis. God bless you. God love you. Thank you for your time today. All right, that's going to do it for hour number one. Very grateful and for your patience through the fire alarm uh, drama that we are suffering through today. If you can join us uh, in the next hour, we'd love to have you. Brent Haynes is going to be on the game show. Plus, I'm going to read to you Cardinal Pell's actual last words, his article, The Telegraph. All of that in the next hour. Otherwise, we'll see you back here tomorrow. God bless you. God love you. We'll see you then. For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. Upon his shoulder, dominion rests. They name him Wonder Counselor, God Hero, Father Forever, Prince of Peace. The prophet Isaiah, chapter 9, verse 5. This is Marty Matulia, the general manager of the Guadalupe Radio Network in Alabama, wishing you and your family a wonderful Christmas and a new year filled with immense blessings from our Lord Jesus Christ, who comes to save us. Come, let us adore him. This is Dale Alquist with a Chesterton Christmas Minute. Are you worried about the war on Christmas? Don't be. G.K. Chesterton says Christmas is the irresistible festival for those who are afraid to be festive. It is the spectacular festival when almost everyone lives and acts poetry instead of just a few people writing it. It is the ancient festival, a trinity of eating, drinking, praying, that to modern seems irreverent because the holy day really is a holiday. No matter what happens, says Chesterton, the great majority will go on observing Christmas Day with Christmas gifts and Christmas benedictions, and they will continue to do it, and suddenly, someday they'll wake up and discover why. Want more than a minute? Visit us at chesterton.org. Open wide your door to the one who comes. Open your soul. Throw open the depths of your heart to see the riches of simplicity, the treasures of peace, the sweetness of grace. Open your heart and run to meet the sun of eternal light that illuminates all men. St. Ambrose of Milan. As we enter this Christmas season, let us pray that we open our hearts to receive the gift of peace, love, and hope. 
This is Manny Ortiz, production manager of the Guadalupe Radio Network, wishing you a Merry Christmas and a blessed New Year. Are you on the CDT Insider email list? Hi, Joe McLean here. And every week I send you cool stuff straight to your inbox, goodies that you're not going to want to miss. Go to grnonline.com forward slash CDT and get signed up today. Hello, this is Father Charles Van Fleet, pastor of Regina Chaley Parish in Northwest Houston, where the traditional Latin Mass is celebrated. Thank you for listening to KSHJ 1430 AM, Catholic radio throughout Metro Houston on the Guadalupe Radio Network. You hear that? Beep, beep, I, I, can, can beep. You hear it? What's that? Beep, What's that sound? Beep, beep, huh? I don't know about you, but I was getting uh, <laughs> I was getting messages from that beeping. I, I was getting, Did you get anything from that? I was getting voices in my head that says, destroy something right now. It's actually Morse code, guys. <laughs> just, just destroy something. Throw something at someone. That's, that's, i got to ignore those voices. It's Truly. like Morse code or something. <laughs> yeah. Got to love it. Uh, thank you. Thank you for the fire alarm opportunity to suffer some today. Uh, but hopefully it'll it'll not come back. Praise be to God. Hey, by the way, before, speaking of something coming back, it's the uh, it's that time of year where we try to give somebody a car. You know, it's hard to give people cars. I've learned it's not an easy process. You'd think it would be easier just to give people a car, hmm. but uh, apparently there's like a whole there's a series of steps one must take in order to receive a free car. Even taxes you have to pay to get a car. Wow, you got to pay taxes on a car more than give me, once. Give me a flat tax. You got. You have to. Oh, when you buy a car, you got to pay a tax. Yeah. Right. Okay. If you sell the car, someone's paying a tax again on the same car. Unless you lie and you say it was a gift. And then okay, wait, we're Catholics. We don't lie. It's a gift for a and dollar. Then, I know. Ex- I'm except kidding. Except for maybe in the game show. But I, I forget about that. <laughs> <laughs> then, uh, then of course, every year you pay a registration on your car, which is a tax. A license to drive your car. Right. So you're that you own. There's a lot of tax going down on these vehicles. Mm. But nonetheless, don't be distracted. We're going to give somebody a brand new Mercedes. Could be you. It's possible. And so here are the steps you must take in order to win said Mercedes, a 2023 CLA 250 in polar white. You got to buy. You got to buy a ticket. But there are rules, and you can find all the rules at grnonline.com forward slash raffle. We'll give you a list of all the rules and how you can participate, plus a way to buy your raffle ticket. All right there, secure online, very easy. You can do it right now. grnonline.com forward slash raffle. Tickets are $25 a piece, or you can get five for 100 bucks, which means you get one for free just doing the $100 deal. It's your best bet. It's, it's your biggest deal. It's your biggest bang for your buck. So that is the steps you must take in order to potentially win come February 24th. And the best part is? 24th. You help support Catholic Radio. Yeah, true story. You help support the Guadalupe Radio Network. Hashtag true story. So uh, You know what I always say, Joe? What do you always say? I always say... The good news and bad news is, mm-hmm. the good news is we have all the money we need. No. The bad news is it's in your wallet. <laughs> so <laughs> you got to pull it out and give it to us. In their digital wallets? Now that works too for us. Okay. Now we'll now. take digital money. Make sure to spend all of your digital money mm-hmm. on the Guadalupe Radio. Exactly. <laughs> there you go. Uh, but the cool thing is you, your chances of winning the car are actually very, very good. They're not bad at all. Compare that to, say, the Powerball, the Mega Million Jackpot, whatever, which is at a billion bucks or something like that right now. 
So oh, the thing I'm going to win is that right? Like uh, Clarissa's numbers. That remember she gave us the last little thing you mean quadrillion? Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, grnonline.com forward slash raffle or call your local GRN station manager. They would love to take your phone call and talk to you about car raffle tickets, especially how you might help spread the word. That would be super amazing and a great support to the GRN. So again, grnonline.com forward slash raffle. Brent Haynes is coming on in just one minute, but I wanted to share with you. Out of the American conservative, Rod Dreyer. I know it's one of your favorites, Adrian. Oh, yeah. Rod Dreyer. We're good friends. Uh, but he talked about in an article uh, that came out last night that I, a lot of people are like, whoa, it's being shared quite heavily on, on Twitter right now. Uh, Benedict XVI, back in 2015, wrote a private letter, 12 sentences long, to uh, a retired Catholic statesman by the name of Vladimir Palko urging prayer against the expanding power of the Antichrist. Well, when this became known that he had this letter, this gentleman, this Vlad, was so shook by this letter uh, that he received privately from Benedict XVI that he didn't want to make it public. Like, it was very disturbing to him in some ways. He didn't, he wanted to wait to at least when he was dead. When asked about it this week, now that he's passed, are you going to make it public? He's had cold feet and still didn't want to make it public. But they did an interview with the gentleman about the contents of it, and here's the one sentence I want to read to you. Here's the question. When you reported the letter for the first time, you decided not to publish part of the text, noting that it was not the right time to do so. The reason was the sensitive content and concerns that the late Pope expressed about the state of the Catholic Church. Could you elaborate on what you what exactly it was? The answer, yes, it's like that. The letter is not long. It has 12 lines. In the second half of the letter, there is a sentence about three lines long. Which makes some striking claims. The sentence reads as follows, quote, We see how the power of the Antichrist is expanding, and we can only pray that the Lord will give us strong shepherds who will defend us or defend his church in this hour of need from the power of evil. You can read the rest of this article for yourself over at the American conservative Benedict XVI. It is time. It, it, it is the time of the Antichrist is the headline there. Pray, fast, do penance. Speaking of uh, fasting, attorney Brent Haynes. Drops Catholic, that bomb. Now moving on. Catholic, <laughs> oh, Catholic freedom fighter Brent Haynes joins us now by phone. Good morning to you, Brent. Good morning, Joe. Praise be to God. It's good to uh, have you back on the program. How are you, sir? Well, I'm always glad to be on with you and Adrian and Rudy, Joe. Oh, praise be to God. Well, we're glad you're here. Um, there was a couple of stories you sent my way last night that I found very intriguing, one that I did not know. Uh, I want to start there. Uh, Speaker of the House McCarthy wants social media to, to censor conservatives? Well, that is a report that came out some time ago, and interestingly, we did not hear that during the, at least I didn't hear it, and I followed it pretty closely, but we did not hear that during the uh, election of the Speaker of the House is one of the criticisms of of um, McCarthy. But the report is that on a conference call, he was caught uh, saying, uh, making a comment to the effect of, you know, can't they can't they take away the accounts of these conservatives? And he even mentioned another congressman by name. Now, to be fair. Um, McCarthy or McCarthy's office uh, disputed that, but um, you know that's you know this this already 
already made it into the um, you know in, into a news publication that found it credible enough to print, and you know they could have they could have been wrong, but it, you know it it gives you another idea of why the conservatives in Congress uh, have always found it um, uh, you know, difficult to trust trust to trust Speaker McCarthy. Mm. Um, it reminds me of the uh, Ronald Reagan principle of trust, but verify. And I think all the more uh, reason why the the coalition, uh, the Freedom Caucus, uh, tried very desperately to try to make a deal, one that would be more favorable to the American people, to try to get some rules changed, to get some cooperation. Uh, otherwise, they were like, he's just more of the same. Yes, the the. Um you know that report was published by you know published by the insider you know it it was published you know last april so it was months ago but this is a, this is the way that politics politicians often get caught remember president obama was caught making comments on a hot mic about people clinging to guns and religion hmm. uh, so often when you catch them when they realize they're not being recorded or they think they're speaking in confidence is when you find out what they're really thinking and what their true motives are um, but that's, um, you know, that sort of pales in comparison now to the, uh, the shocking revelations that Vice President Biden took classified documents with him when he left office. Because, yeah. Joe, if you were listening to the media uh, after President uh, Trump was found to have done this or allegedly have done this because he claimed to declassify them, uh, everybody said no, no one is above the law. Right. That was the mantra yeah, in the mainstream that. media. No one, was, no one was above the law. Yeah. And already we're hearing in the media, you know, efforts to distinguish what Vice President Biden did mm -hmm. from what President Trump did. Uh, you'll hear phrases such as staffers, who, you know, which staffers packed these documents and documents being inadvertently packed. Um, and now it's come out that there are other documents that have been found at another location and they haven't even yeah. announced what location that is. But there are two important points here. Um, to compare this to the Trump situation, first, there, it, you know, there was a lot of talk about uh, prosecuting President Trump, and the, the Department of Justice is investigating him. And there's a principle called selective prosecution, and that's where the defendant basically says, "Look, you're prosecuting me for doing this, but." This other person did this, did the exact same thing, essentially, because it, it needs to be pretty similar. Uh, but you're not prosecuting them. You know, this is America. The law is supposed to apply equally. You don't see that doctrine raised very much. It's very difficult to raise it. I've never seen it used in, in, the, in my practice or in the offices I've worked in, but it is out there, and it was raised pretty soon after President Trump uh, you know, was threatened with criminal prosecution. And, of course, they pointed out, as many political commentators pointed out, that former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton literally refused to turn over documents she had taken with her, her yeah. emails. She famously destroyed her computer, like literally broke, broke her computer hard drive with a hammer. Nothing happened with her. But there are distinctions there, and, and applying the, that doctrine strictly, you know, Trump wouldn't have been able to, to uh, win on that. But now you have the vice president of the United States who's taken out documents, and that's even more similar and uh, uh, from the same time period. Yes. Uh, another important point is that, uh, remember, Trump as president had the authority to declassify documents, and he claimed that he did. 
Biden as vice president did not have the authority to classify mm. documents. Now, it would have been best, and apparently he didn't, or it wouldn't have gone as far as it did, would have been best if Trump had some documented evidence, if he, if he had documented that he had declassified the documents, and that was well established, that would be the best practice. Yeah, it was a debated um, topic about how that actually works. Uh, you know, how does a president go about the business of declassifying documents? There's been some uh, debate on how formal or informal that can actually be. But I think the bottom line here is, irregardless of that point, is if you break the law, you should be held accountable. Well, if you're Donald Trump, you should be held accountable. If you're President Joe Biden, you should be held accountable. But it does seem like there is a hypocrisy in all of this. Donald Trump gets the FBI raid treatment, and uh, Joe Biden gets, ah, we'll look into it, no big deal. Well, the result will probably be that there will not be any prosecution of Donald Trump, and there won't be any prosecution of Joe Biden. And that's as it should be because the Presidential Papers Act or Presidential Documents Act is really a civil statute. Uh, presidents and vice presidents, when they leave office, they take papers with them. They put them in their presidential and vice presidential libraries. Mm. They use them to write their memoirs. Scholars get access to these papers. Um, if there's, they, they deal with thousands and thousands of documents. If some are taken inadvertently or just through misjudgment, then you work with the National Archives to give them back. And that's what, they sh that's what they should have done with Trump. They should have settled it as a civil matter in court using subpoenas. Yeah. You and I discussed this on this program months ago. Mm -hmm. Probably we don't hear any more about the prosecution of President Trump on this. The other interesting thing is this becomes very likely yet another reason for the Democratic hierarchy and the Democrat uh, big donors to move away from President Biden as the nominee in 2024. This is just one more reason. I can think of a lot of things that they could move away from. Uh, over 200. There are a lot of reasons. Over 200 Democrats voted against defending babies in, uh, who are suffering through abortion. Uh, they voted against protecting pro-life pregnancy clinics, including 65 Catholics who joined this number who don't want to protect children in the womb or pregnancy pro-life clinics who would provide resources to women in, in these crisis pregnancy centers. There's a lot of things they need to move away from, Brent Haynes. Well, that is an unfortunate sign of how in the last 40 years or so, really in about the last 20 to 25 years, we have not only lost a lot of civility in our politics, but we've even lost the willingness of politicians to agree with each other on legislation and on principles where they really don't have a disagreement and they are willing to uh, go forward or, or go publicly and state where they agree and work together where they agree and where, the, and where they should be working together. It's a sign that to those 200 and some Democrats who refuse to vote for that, it's a sign that they consider every statement, every political vote, an act of political war. Amen. And that is not the way it, that is not the way it was, you know, 30 or 40 years ago. You know, right. when I was a young man spending summers on Capitol Hill in the 1980s, that is not the way it was. Uh, you can go back and look at old news reports. That's not the way it was. All right. Attorney and Catholic freedom fighter Brent Haynes. God bless you. God love you. Thank you for your insight. We appreciate it. All right, we're going to play the game show, Fear and Trembling. If you would like to win prizes, now's your chance. You can win. It's possible. And uh, today, uh, you might learn one thing. I don't know. We'll see. 
877-757-9424. All easy question Thursday at 877-757-9424. 877-757-9424. Call now. Hi, listeners. Sean here. Join me in this short meditation on the birth of Jesus from Luke's Gospel, chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. And the angel said to them, Be not afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy which will come to all the people. For to you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. On behalf of all of us here at the GRN in South and Central Texas, have a blessed Christmas celebration. May God bless you and Mary smile upon you. Amen. This is Dale Alquist with a Chesterton Christmas Minute. G.K. Chesterton says that it is in the old Christmas carols that date from the Middle Ages that we find not only what makes Christmas poetic and soothing and stately, but what makes it exciting. The exciting quality of Christmas rests upon a great paradox that the power and center of the whole universe may be found in something very small, a baby in a manger. And it's extraordinary to notice how completely this paradox of the manger was lost by the brilliant theologians, but was kept in the Christmas carols. The songs recall the main point of the story, that God once ruled the universe from a stable, and that the hands that made the stars were too small to reach the huge heads of the cattle. Want more than a minute? Chesterton.org. Hi, I'm Richard Lena, Vice President of the Guadalupe Radio Network. During this cherished time of the year, know that you, your family, and all your loved ones remain in our prayers. We pray that the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus, the Christ child, bring joy to your hearts and homes throughout the entire Christmas season and beyond. Merry Christmas from our family to yours. Welcome to another round of fear and trembling. <laughs> the Catholic trivia game show that helps you work out your salvation by the seat of your pants. It's a 50-50 chance and prizes are involved. Avoid the weeping and gnashing of teeth. Call now to take your shot. 877-757-9424. And now your host, Joe McClain. Praise be to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time and fear and trembling. A Catholic trivia game show that has secrets and agendas. Joe, they make they have medication for that. <laughs> Do they? By the way. Yeah. Like inhalers or something? <laughs> <laughs> uh, at any rate, there are a few things we like to do on the download, the QT. Like our Lord, who uh, requests that you tell no one, uh, we're going to say, hey, don't tell anybody what I'm about to tell with you, which means you also have to go out and tell everybody, like just like in the gospel. Anyway, we, number one, we like to teach the faith. So we look for teachable moments in the questions where you could learn something about the Catholic faith you didn't, didn't know before. Praise be to God. It's a good thing. We like to have a laugh, a chuckle, a good time, and our callers are amazing. They laugh with us. We enjoy that most. And then, of course, we give out prizes, which means we incentivize you. Uh, some would say manipulate you. To, uh, to learn, to laugh, and to win. And someone's going to do all three this week, praise be to God. But the kicker is, the secret sauce in all of this is, we don't ask the caller the question. So they don't need to know. They may not know a single correct answer, but could still win the game. And that's because instead of asking them, I will ask Rudy and I will ask Adrian. 
one of which will give us a correct answer. The other will give us an incorrect answer. The caller will then have 15 seconds to make a decision. Whomst do they trust more, Rudy or Adrian? And if they get that right, they go into the coffee cup of divine providence to win this week's prize. Which happens to be mm-hmm. a CDT prize pack. Catholic Oof. Drive Time is sponsoring our game Those show guys, this week. They're the best. They're so generous. Oh, they're so great. Yeah. They're they're handsome. They're handsome. They're tall. tall. Yeah, I heard that too. They have full thick, heads of thick hair. Full head of hair. Well, the prize pack is going to consist <laughs> of a replica of the Coffee Cup of Divine Providence, the one and only. That one will remain. Mm -hmm. We can't Mm -hmm. give that one away. No, it's the original. But the replicas are new and improved, and uh, they've they've increased the amount Mm -hmm. of uh, goodness you receive from coffee. It actually Uh increases the taste of the coffee another 10%. So we're at 80%. Nothing's perfect, of course. Mm -hmm. From the Coffee Cup of Divine Providence, the real one, you get 110%. Oh, I see. It's better. So you could use the worst grounds to get the best coffee. Like You could save a bunch of money just by putting terrible coffee in our cup, which makes it instantly better. You can use that dry freeze coffee, and it'll taste incredible. Dry freeze coffee. I'll put my coffee in. I can't (laughs) confirm. (laughs) All right. Thank you, Catholic Drive Time, for putting together a price back. You're welcome. Let's go to the phones. Uh, Brianna. Brianna, good morning to you. Hi, good morning. Praise be to God, Brianna. How are you? I'm good. How are you guys doing? We are alive, and that counts. Praise be to Jesus. That's great. Now, where are you calling from, Brianna? Uh, We're calling from uh, Wausau, Wisconsin. Wow, that's pretty that's epic. Incredible. That's the first. I think I think we just put her in the cup. We don't yeah, have to ask sure. questions now because yeah, just from was first caller from Wisconsin ever. Oh my well, anyway, yeah, thanks for playing. Not. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> We're teasing. Don't go anywhere. No, don't go anywhere. Okay. I'm actually going to be in Wisconsin next weekend. Where? What part? Oh, uh, no. Near the Great Lakes. I don't know. <laughs> that's the whole state. Yeah, that's the whole state. <laughs> that's uh, that's, I don't Milwaukee, know. Milwaukee, possibly? Maybe. Wait, if, you know where, if you know where the Institute of Christ the King Church is in Wisconsin, that's where there's I'm going to be. There's only one? I think so. Okay. I think there's only one. And two. Oh, there's oh, two. There's okay, two. well, there you go, yeah, folks. One's in uh, Green Bay and one's in Wausau. I oh. think it's in uh, the latter. Nice. <laughs> I mean, and I'm going to. My Emily Alcaraz is going to be getting married next weekend, so I'll be there. There. That's How wonderful. Well, Brianna, we are grateful. How are you tuning us in today, by the way? Uh, through YouTube, generally. Nice. Well, we're glad you're here. Thank you, Brianna, for. Being a part of the program today from the beautiful state of Wisconsin. I love Wisconsin. Been there several times. Uh, it's just an amazing place. But are you familiar with the rules? Do you know how this whole thing works? Yes. Okay. Yeah, okay. Well, then I have a duty and obligation to warn you. Rudy is not only not wearing a tie today, he's wearing a sweater. <laughs> Milwaukee. That's where I'm going. Brianna, it's like 75 degrees here, and he's no, wearing a sweater. Suspect. That's all I'm saying. You, you correlate that information yeah. as you see fit. It's a balmy 72. But we will begin with Rudy Carlos, as is our custom, our, our church-approved patrimony and tradition. We're allowed to do this. Uh, it was not specified in Tradiciones Gustodes that we couldn't do it. We couldn't do it. So what's, <laughs> what's not prevented is allowed, according right. to the law of the church. It's true. So, Rudy Carlos, are you ready? I am ready. Are you sure? Yes. Mm. Are you sure? I'm very sure. You got the Top Gun jacket with the sweater on today? I don't know, bro. Uh, All right, but let's ask anyway. Who is the patron saint of authors? The patron saint of authors. Well, I'm going to take a wild guess since I don't know how to read. Mm-hmm. I haven't read a book These in kids years. Can't read. 
Mm-hmm. I'm just going to say it's St. Chesterton. St. Chesterton? Yes. I think a lot of people might agree with that, including my own daughter. She'd probably be on board. <laughs> Who knows? Uh, all right. So he has a cultist. Seems reasonable. Okay. Guy wrote a lot. Yeah. Some would say too much, but okay. <laughs> uh, let's just see what Adrian has to say. Adrian, as an author, I mean, you've written volumes of I, I have. books. Uh, true. So much. Could you tell me, who is the patron saint of authors? Well, while you're at it, uh, go subscribe to my Patreon account and buy my book and my, Which my web course. And How uh, many books do you have? Um, yeah, don't worry about it. Just buy it. Just buy it. Yeah. <laughs> and the answer would be St. Francis de Sales. You're not going to go with Chesterton? Uh, Chesterton is an amazing person, is but I'm going to go with St. Francis de Sales. Okay. And one would say he's a great mm-hmm. writer, too. Mm-hmm. All right, Brianna, in Wisconsin, you've got options here. Adrian seems to think it's St. Francis de Sales. Whereas Rudy says it's St. Chesterton who is the patron saint of authors. 15 seconds on the clock. Who is right? Who is wrong? Brianna, what say you? Um, Francis de Sales. <laughs> uh, I happen to notice there, Brianna, that uh, in getting the question correct, which you, of course, did, you also didn't mention Adrian at all. In the uh, it was implied. That is brilliant. That's that the is, that's the dynamic equivalence translation. That is masterful work I, there. Brianna. I what I heard was Adrian was one hundred percent correct, and remember, he's also the best. I never heard, I heard her say that. Uh, that that's just she how never, I heard it. Hmm, Brianna, you are amazing already. You, I mean, this is just really, really good. But let's see if we can't double your chances now with this next question. We're going to go to Adrian, who is. I think he's an expert at this one because he has them all tattooed onto his body. Oh, so right. Don't fact check me. On each of my toes, uh-huh. actually. Adrian, can you tell me, what is the sixth station of the cross? Yes, well, you know, as Joe said, I have all the stations tattooed on each of my toes. Mm-hmm. All 12 of them. <laughs> um, and so, awkward. Aw- awkward. Uh, so, what is the sixth station of the cross, you yeah. ask? Yes. Well, it's mm-hmm. Christ meets our lady on the way of the cross. Really? Mm-hmm. That was a good moment. It is. Oh, wow. I'm thinking about the Who can not shed right a tear? All thinking, right. Oh, man. Rudy, let's Oof. see what you have to say. Could you tell me, hopefully without tattoos, uh, the sixth station of the cross, sir? Well, that's why I wore my sweater, so I could show my tattoo. Well, anyways. Uh, I have to show material. Anyway. Uh-huh. That happens to be Veronica wipes the face of our blessed Lord. Really? So our what, Lord, a, what a great act of I charity. I see. So he is meeting a woman. Yes. But you're saying it's not the blessed Not Lord. our blessed mother, okay. but Veronica. Okay. All right, Brianna, you got options. Is the sixth station of the cross where he met Veronica, as Rudy says? Or is it where he met his mother, our lady, as Adrian says? 15 seconds. Who's right? Who's wrong? What say you, Brianna? I'm going to go with Rudy. Going to go with Rudy. So you mentioned Rudy's name, but not Adrian's. No, I'm, I'm correlating. I'm, I'm, I'm collecting this information. I'm feeling pondering a little, uh, it within my heart. Oppressed, to be as honest. Our lady did. <laughs> I'm, the most, I'm the most oppressed person on the planet. No, she said you. Well, no, she didn't say you were right. But anyway, let's move on. You are, you are correct. It's Veronica wipes the face of Jesus. Brianna, you're brilliant. Adrian, you want me to wipe your face? All right, let's. Uh, we got to get this last question in. All right, Brianna, I'm going to be honest with you though. This this next question, I don't think I've ever seen a harder question in my entire life. Nah. Benedict XVI, God rest his soul, could not answer this question. So no pressure. It's true. But back to Rudy. Rudy, can you tell me what is the term for the provision of whatever might be necessary to maintain life, food, clothing, and shelter to a member of a religious order? What is that term called? <laughs> 
Well, they have an apostolic mission, and therefore they call it an apostolic provision. Apostolic, do they say provisionis? Provisionis custodis. I see. For the okay. lifeus. <laughs> For the lifeus. <laughs> Adrian, maybe you can help me. Uh, mm. Uh, what is the term for the provision of whatever might be necessary to main life? Food, maintain life, food, clothing, and shelter to a member of a religious order. Yes. We have to give them a basic standard. Yes. What do we call that? That is called an elementation or otherwise called an element. An element? Aliment. Aliment. Not an element. Aliment. Okay. All right, Brianna, hopefully you are an expert in uh, the minimum standard for religious people. Uh, is it an Aliment, as Adrian said, or is it an apostolic provision, as Rudy seemed to think? 15 seconds. Brianna, what say you? I'm going to go with Aliment. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like some animosity over here. Brianna! From, Brianna, Woo! just so you know, you're banned from the show. Lovely no. name, by the way. Just, just FYI. Uh, from now on, it, it's, it's Brianna's show. She deserves I, I'm gravely Jesus. offended. Brianna, amazing. Aliment is the correct answer, and so is Adrian. Unfortunately, we have to say that out loud. We're required by law. I'm in tears. Brianna, God bless you. Thanks for having a laugh with us today. Thank you. God bless you, Brianna. Have a great day. Yeah. We're going to put you on hold. That's going to do it for the uh, radio side. If you can join us in the after show, I would like to read to you Cardinal Pell's comments on the synod on synodality in the after show go to grnonline.com forward slash cdt thank you for joining us on your catholic drive time where it is our pleasure to keep you informed and inspired join us monday through friday at the same time right here on your favorite catholic radio station don't forget to connect with us just go to facebook.com forward slash catholic drive time again that's facebook.com forward slash catholic drive time be sure to share more than just us today share jesus with everyone you meet bye now and god love you wow wisconsin is on The Guadalupe Radio Network now brings you the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass from the chapel at Our Lady of Corpus Christi in Corpus Christi, Texas. Welcome to the Holy Mass, live from Our Lady of Corpus Christi, home of the Salt community. For more information, visit salt.net or ourladyofcorpuschristi.org. Today we celebrate Thursday of the first week in Ordinary Time. This holy sacrifice of the Mass is being offered for all those listening in on the Guadalupe Radio Network and all of our online viewers. Please join in singing our opening song, Praise God from Whom All Blessings Flow. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. 
Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And with your spirit. Brothers and sisters, let us call to mind our sins and so prepare ourselves to celebrate the sacred mysteries. I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have greatly sinned in my thoughts and in my words, in what I have done and in what I have failed to do, through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. Therefore, I ask, Blessed Mary, ever-Virgin, all the angels and saints, and you, my brothers and sisters, to pray for me to the Lord our God. May Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sins, and bring us to everlasting life. Amen. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Let us pray. Attend to the pleas of your people with heavenly care, O Lord, we pray, that they may see what must be done and gain strength to do what they have seen. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God forever and ever. Amen. reading from the letter to the Hebrews. The Holy Spirit says, Oh, that today you would hear his voice. Harden not your hearts as at the rebellion in the days of testing in the desert, where your ancestors tested and tried me and saw my works for 40 years. Because of this, I was provoked with that generation. And I said, They have always been of erring heart, and they do not know my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. Take care, brothers and sisters, that none of you may have an evil and unfaithful heart so as to forsake the living God. Encourage yourselves daily while it is still today so that none of you may grow hardened by the deceit of sin. We have become partners of Christ if only we hold the beginning of the reality firm until the end. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. If today you hear his voice, harden not your hearts. If today, if today you, you hear, hear his, his voice, voice harden, harden not your hearts. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord who made us. For he is our God, and we are the people he shepherds, the flock he guides. If, if today, today you hear his voice, harden not your hearts. Oh, that today you would hear his voice. Harden not your hearts as at Meribah, as in the day of Massa in the desert, where your fathers tempted me, they tested me, though they had seen my works. If today you hear his voice, harden not your hearts. Forty years I was wearied of that generation. I said, this people's heart goes astray, they do not know my ways. Therefore I swore in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. If today you hear his voice, Harden not your hearts. Alleluia. 
preached the gospel of the kingdom and cured every disease among the people. Alleluia, Alleluia, Alleluia. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. Glory to you, O Lord. A leper came to him, and kneeling down, begged him and said, If you wish, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand, touched the leper, and said to him, I do will it, be made clean. The leprosy left him immediately, and he was made clean. Then, warning him sternly, he dismissed him at once. Then he said to him, See that you tell no one anything, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses prescribed. That will be proof for them. The man went away and began to publicize the whole matter. He spread the report abroad so that it was impossible for Jesus to enter a town openly. He remained outside in deserted places, and people kept coming to him from everywhere. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. In sacred scripture, the heart is a metaphor for the place where we come into relationship and encounter with God and with one another. Today's reading from the letter to the Hebrews really warns us and compels us to recall the importance of the heart in our relationship with God. Every day, in fact, the letter to the Hebrews tells us we should encourage ourselves to have our heart open and softened in the presence of God, because otherwise, in the face of sinfulness, our heart will become evil and unfaithful and therefore closed from God and separated from Him. It really is an everyday part of our journey of discipleship to wake up in the morning and to say, I am ready for today with a heart completely open to God and whatever he has in store for me. This is what it means to walk with Jesus and to encounter him on a daily basis. In today's gospel, we see that paradigm of living in an open heart and relationship to God lived out perfectly by the leper. In the first place, Mark tells us that the leper came to Jesus. In other words, he's immediately open to a relationship with Jesus. He's open to being in an encounter with the living God. Secondly, he kneels down before him. The leper doesn't come professing his own grandiosity and what he deserves and what he has to receive. He kneels down in worship before God because he knows who Jesus is and in that reminds us of our posture always in relationship to God. We come on our knees because we know he's God and we are not. Then the leper begs Jesus. He comes with petition because he knows Jesus is the one who can answer the deepest desires of his heart. For us too, 
how important it is that on a daily basis we come and beg the Lord to journey with us on that day to be with us and to help us encounter whatever the day is going to throw at us. Then we can see the petition of the leper, if you wish, you can make me clean. With that, if you wish, it really is a nod to say the leper understands that God's will is the best thing. Doesn't necessarily mean it's what the leper wants, but he recognizes God is the one who's omnipotent, who's almighty, who is all-knowing, and he knows, God knows what he needs most, and therefore his petition is a humble one. He recognizes God is God, and he leaves it in his hands. And there too, we are called to adopt that same posture. Lord, if you wish, grant this to me, but I trust in your will. I know that you know what's best for me. And then finally, we can note that despite Jesus telling the leper not to go out and tell anyone, because he didn't want to get too many followers too soon before people could come to terms with the suffering Messiah, the leper cannot help himself, but he goes out to praise God, and he is compelled to share what Jesus has done for him. Isn't it true for us, too, that if we're truly aware of what God is doing in our life, that our hearts would be so filled with gratitude and praise that we would be compelled to tell other people, look at the exciting things that God is doing in our life? In other words, from a living relationship with Jesus, evangelization flows naturally because when we recognize everything we have in our life is from God, when we are enthusiastic to embrace that whatever happens in our life, God is ultimately there to help us interpret and direct. This is something which leads us to praise and to sharing with others. And so today, my brothers and sisters, as we go forward on our daily journey of discipleship, let us ask God for the grace that we would truly open our hearts today to him, to be in relationship with him that we would come to the Lord, that we would kneel down before him in worship, that we would bring him our petitions, that we would trust that he knows what we need and what's best for us, and that we would share his goodness and what he's done for us with others. Amen. Trusting in our Father's love and mercy, let us bring our petitions before him. We pray for our Holy Father, Pope Francis, and for all bishops for their physical and spiritual needs. We pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. We pray for government leaders that they would be inspired by the Holy Spirit to enact just laws that would safeguard and protect the dignity of human life at every phase, and laws which would never transgress the natural law of God. We pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. We pray for the sick and the suffering, that they would be given consolation in their faith and the courage and perseverance to unite their sufferings with Christ on the cross. We pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. We pray for our family, friends, benefactors, for those joining us online and through Guadalupe Radio Media, and for all those enrolled in the Salt Mass Association. We pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. We pray for an increase in vocations to the priesthood and religious life. We pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. We pray that our hearts would always be open and receptive to the goodness of God in our life. We pray to the Lord. 
Lord, hear our prayer. For those intentions that we hold in our heart. We pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. Merciful Father, we thank you for hearing our petitions and granting our prayers through Christ our Lord. Amen. Our offertory song is, I Heard the Voice of Jesus Say. I heard the voice of Jesus say, Come unto me and rest. Lay down, O weary one, Lay down thy head upon my breast. I came to Jesus as I was, so weary, worn, and sad. I found in him a resting place, and he has made me glad. I came to Jesus as I was, so weary, worn, and sad. I found in him a resting place, and he has made me glad. Pray, brothers and sisters, that my sacrifice and yours may be acceptable to God, the Almighty Father. May the Lord accept the sacrifice at your hands for the praise and glory of his name, for our good and the good of all his holy church. May your people's oblation, O Lord, find favor with you, we pray, that it may restore them to holiness and obtain what they devoutly entreat through Christ our Lord. Amen. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and just. It is truly right and just. Our duty and our salvation. Always and everywhere to give you thanks. Lord, Holy Father, Almighty and Eternal God, for just as through your beloved Son you created the human race, so also through him with great goodness you formed it anew. And so it is right that all your creatures preserve you, all the redeemed praise you, and all your saints with one heart bless you. Therefore, we too extol you with all the angels, as in joyful celebration we acclaim. Sanctus, Sanctus, Sanctus Dominus Deus Sabaoth, Pleni sunt celi et terra, Gloria Tua, Hosanna in excelsis, Benedictus, 
qui venit in nomine Domini, Osana in excelsis. You are indeed holy, O Lord, and all you have created rightly gives you praise. For through your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, by the power and working of the Holy Spirit, you give life to all things and make them holy. And you never cease to gather a people to yourself, so that from the rising of the sun to its setting, a pure sacrifice may be offered to your name. Therefore, O Lord, we humbly implore you by the same Spirit, graciously make holy these gifts we have brought to you for consecration, that they may become the body and blood of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, at whose command we celebrate these mysteries. For on the night he was betrayed, he himself took bread, and giving you thanks, he said the blessing, broke the bread, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and eat of it, for this is my body which will be given up for you. In a similar way, when supper was ended, he took the chalice, and giving you thanks, he said the blessing, and gave the chalice to his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and drink from it, for this is the chalice of my blood, the blood of the new and eternal covenant, which will be poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in memory of me. The mystery of faith. We proclaim your death, O Lord, and profess your resurrection until you come again. Therefore, O Lord, as we celebrate the memorial of the saving passion of your Son, his wondrous resurrection and ascension into heaven, and as we look forward to his second coming, we offer you in thanksgiving this holy and living sacrifice. Look, we pray, upon the oblation of your church, and recognizing the sacrificial victim, by whose death you will to reconcile us to yourself, grant that we who are nourished by the body and blood of your Son, and filled with his Holy Spirit, may become one body, one spirit in Christ. May he make of us an eternal offering to you, so that we may obtain an inheritance with your elect, especially with the most blessed Virgin Mary, Mother of God, with blessed Joseph, her spouse, with your blessed apostles and glorious martyrs, and with all the saints on whose constant intercession in your presence we rely for unfailing help. May this sacrifice of our reconciliation, we pray, O Lord, advance the peace and salvation of all the world. Be pleased to confirm in faith and charity your pilgrim church on earth with your servant Francis, our Pope, and Michael, our bishop, the order of bishops, all the clergy, and the entire people you have gained for your own. Listen graciously to the prayers of this family whom you have summoned before you. In your compassion, O merciful Father, gather to yourself all your children scattered throughout the world. To our departed brothers and sisters, and to all who are pleasing to you at their passing from this life, give kind admittance to your kingdom. There we hope to enjoy forever the fullness of your glory. Through Christ our Lord, through whom you bestow on the world all that is good. Through him and with him and in him, O God, Almighty Father, 
in the unity of the Holy Spirit. All glory and honor is yours forever and ever. Amen. Precepti salutaribus moniti, et divina institutione formati, audemus indicere, Pater noster, qui es in celis, sanctifice tuur nomen tuum, adveniat regnum tuum, fiat voluntas tua, sicud in celo et in terra, panem nostrum coditianum, da nobis hodie, et imite nobis debita nostra, sicud et nos dimitimus, debitoribus nostris, et ne nos inducas in tentationem, sed libera nos amalo. Deliver us, Lord, we pray, from every evil, graciously grant peace in our days, that by the help of your mercy we may be always free from sin and safe from all distress as we await the blessed hope and the coming of our Savior Jesus Christ. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. Lord Jesus Christ, who said to your apostles, Peace I leave you, my peace I give you. Look not on our sins, but on the faith of your church, and graciously grant her peace and unity in accordance with your will, who live and reign forever and ever. Amen. The peace of the Lord be with you always. And with your spirit. Let us offer each other the sign of peace. On you stay, qui tolis peccata mundi, miserere nobis. Agnus Dei, qui tolis peccata mundi, miserere nobis. Agnus Dei, qui tolis peccata mundi, dona nobis pacem. Behold the Lamb of God. Behold him who takes away the sins of the world. Blessed are those called to the supper of the Lamb. Lord, Lord I, am I am not worthy, worthy that, that you should enter under my roof, but only say the word, and my soul shall be healed. For those who cannot receive sacramental Holy Communion at this time, we pray the act of spiritual communion. My Jesus, I believe that you are present in the most holy sacrament. I love you above all things, and I desire to receive you into my soul. Since I cannot at this moment receive you sacramentally, come at least spiritually into my heart. I embrace you as if you were already there, and unite myself wholly to you. Never permit me to be separated from you. Amen. O 
Jesus, we adore Thee, who in Thy love divine conceal Thy mighty Godhead in forms of bread and wine. O sacrament most holy, O sacrament divine, all praise and all thanksgiving be every moment thine. O Jesus, we adore Thee, our victim and our priest, whose precious blood and body become our sacred feast. O sacrament most holy, O sacrament divine, all praise and all thanksgiving be every moment thine. Let us pray. Humbly we ask you, Almighty God, be graciously pleased to grant that those you renew with your sacraments may also serve with lives pleasing to you, through Christ our Lord. Amen. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go and announce the gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please join in singing, Praise my soul, the King of heaven. Praise my soul, the King of heaven. To his feet thy tribute bring. Ransom healed, restored, forgiven. Evermore his praises sing. Alleluia, alleluia. Praise the everlasting King. Praise Him for His... The Prayer to St. Michael St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. Prayer of Deliverance Almighty God and Father, we beg thee through the intercession and help of the archangels, St. Michael, Raphael, and Gabriel, for the deliverance of our brothers and sisters who are enslaved by the evil one from anxiety, sadness, and obsessions. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From hatred, fornication, and envy. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From thoughts of jealousy, rage, and death. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. 
from every thought of suicide and abortion. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every form of sinful sexuality. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every division in our family and every harmful friendship. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every sort of spell, malefice, witchcraft, and every form of the occult. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. Thou who said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, grant that through the intercession of the Virgin Mary we may be liberated from every demonic influence and enjoy thy peace always. In the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Transmitting the treasures of our Catholic faith to your radio every day. This is the Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul. Hi, I'm Father Cedric Bazania from Holy Name Retreat Center in 